On today's episode, we discuss things we're still salty about for Tavern Talk, we dive into Bjork's homogenic album, and we quickly preview our next episode, which is going to be this podcast's second birthday episode. Hello, and welcome to The Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and today we're inspired to become warriors, but not warriors that fight with weapons, but with love. <laughs> with me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Mario. Hello. And I am Inan. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. So, for the past couple of weeks, we've had to listen to this whiny, high-pitched, annoying voice with this... heavy, almost unintelligible accent. And then uh, Barrio's birthday came and went, which finally got him to shut up about it. <laughs> and <laughs> on a different note, we've been listening to Bjork's 1997 album, Homogenic. <laughs> uh, we don't usually mention birthdays on this podcast, but I wanted to use it for the joke. So from all of us here at The Culture Quest, happy Sweet 16, Barrio. Ah, thank you. I can't believe you remembered, <laughs> although it was three days ago. So before we get to Bjork's homogenic, Bjork, 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 uh, let's kick things off with our Tavern Talk segment. <laughs> On today's Tavern Talk segment, we're discussing the question, what are you still salty about? And... To make it clear, here's how I would have alternatively uh, worded that question. Uh, what is something that most people have put behind them and forgot about that is still bothering or annoying you on a personal level? Y- usually, Peter starts the conversation. So <laughs> how about, Barrio, you take it now. Well, the first thing that I thought about is Firefly. Mm. That, that occurred to that's, me. That's a good point, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> about uh, it being canceled. But I, it actually reminded me that I'm... I'm really salty about a cancellation of another TV show. Do you know there's there's a, a show called Happy Endings? Never heard yeah, of it. Heard of it's just, I think it's an amazing show. I think it only had three seasons and it was still great. And there was no buzz about it. So I didn't really understood why, if people thought that it was kind of losing track or something. But anyway, like, I think it, it ended. Let me see when. But around, yeah, uh, 2013, and I'm still really bummed about it. I think it was awesome. Just a great cast, funny as hell, kind of like uh, modern day friends, but funny. Oh, <laughs> and, pew, pew, pew. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And when it got canceled, I, uh, I don't know, I'm still, I'm still upset about I it. I see they had like a reunion episode last year. Did you see that? No. And the pandemic goes too. <laughs> it's a good name for an episode. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's like a Zoom oh. call during the pandemic. <laughs> oh, okay. They recently did a Friends um, reunion as well, which honestly, like when I'm watching Friends, I'm like, man, I would give my left leg to like see like <laughs> the reunion, but I hadn't watched it in like a couple, well, more than a couple months, probably about six months. And I was just like, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> like, uh, I never watched it. I was just like, yeah, like it's out there. It's out there when I need it, you know. It was on like a streaming service that I, I didn't have at the time. And I was just like, oh, it can wait. It sucks when a, 
a, a TV show you like gets canceled. Yeah. But at least they had three seasons. Yes. Now you've reminded me of, uh, you reminded me of Firefly and I'm sad again. Whoa, they only had three <laughs> seasons? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm looking at IMDb and it's like TV series 2011 to 2020. I'm like, oh, they had nine seasons. Well done. Who cares about getting canceled after nine seasons? Yeah. <laughs> But maybe they're including like, 2020 that reunion or something like that so, exactly oh yeah. man that, that, that's a bummer man three seasons that sucks. yeah that's too short yeah when i was thinking about stuff i was salty about i kept coming back to tv shows yeah. like i couldn't not think about tv shows because i think every tv show after like the second or third season just goes down the hill and i was salty about like house becoming awful and then scrubs becoming bad and then the 70s show becoming bad and then every time I thought about what am I salty about I kept coming back to TV shows yeah I actually like now I'm thinking about another TV show have you heard about go on with Matthew Perry nope no again like where do you really, find all these shows I I don't even know but this one had only one season and I think it was just amazing oh. yeah firefly all over again <laughs> on the topic of TV shows I think there is one One TV show that I think has maybe just got cancelled. It's called Corporate. I'm pretty sure it's like one of the least watched TV shows ever. <laughs> But I've watched two seasons of it and they had like 10 episodes per season. It, it's like a satire thing of like the corporate world and stuff like that. And it's so funny. But like you can just tell that like they've put it out there with like low budget and they're just like, oh, maybe we can make like a good return here. And like then... You know, since it hasn't gone like global, they're just like, nah, don't need it anymore. Then it hasn't been. It's like a speculative show, like like a speculative like investment. Like they're like, oh, it could go really well. You never know, like Bitcoin. And then like when it just went exactly as you'd expect, like really funny, but just like not a massive audience, then they're just like, oh, damn, I'm lucky. I'm like, my guys, like seriously, made a great show. Like just let the people that like it watch it, you know, like the, the actors aren't like super... like well-known or anything, like it can't be that much to run it. They're probably running it in a profit. So like, why not just keep it going? But, no. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. Like, come on, guys, for us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We're like... 20 guys, but we really <laughs> love it. <laughs> so... uh, Peter, what are you salty about? Okay. Um, so I emailed myself um, a few things like when I, when I suggested this. And um, <laughs> the first one, which just came top of mind, was this might be an easy one, but... It's like a road rage thing, right? There's, okay, so here's a bit of context. There's basically like one north and south freeway in where I live, which is Perth, right? The, the north one is called a different name to the south one, but I just con- consider it just the same. The south one got like all these upgrades, like they've added a lane in some bits and a few interesting like electronic signs instead of just the painted ones and stuff like that. And basically what they've tried to do, like they can't really open it up too wide. They can't just add five lanes because it's going over bridges and stuff. So they need to somehow cope with the, the same amount of cars coming through, but somehow make it quicker, right? So the solution they came up with, you know, when you go to like a, like a water park or something and you go on the slide and like, if there's no one there telling you when you can go, basically there'll be like a light and like, it'll be like red. And then when it goes green, you go. And then the next person will be red and you have to wait. And I guess they calculate that on like, they just say like, I guess 
once the green goes, if like someone's just terrible at water slides <laughs> and they go super slow and then they're followed by someone who's like just an absolute pro, like Michael Phelps or something like that, like whatever the distance they need to make them not hit each other, that's I guess what the time is. And in the freeway um, version, like it, it's basically, it changes based on like if it's super busy, then it'll be like longer between like the green line. So there's two lanes, right? Right lane goes in a straight line, merges with the freeway. The left one goes basically in a like straight line, like right next to it, and then it sort of goes parallel with the freeway for probably 100 meters, mm-hmm. and then it merges with the freeway, right? So simple, simple, you know, there's a diagram when you drive up to it. But for some reason, every time the two cars in each, like in um, one, one car in each lane, and then... As soon as the green goes, the person in the right lane just goes and then the person in the left lane just speeds up and gets in the right lane and like crosses over like the solid right white line, which you're not meant to cross because they think somehow like the left lane's going somewhere else. I don't know where they think it's going, but they obviously don't think they can get on the freeway using the left lane because they've just like crossed over like all this median strips and stuff like that just (laughs) to get onto the lane. And it just happens every time. And like, it's basically people that work or something in the city. And it's like, you've got to do this every day. Can you imagine? Like, if that was the way they designed it, that would just be just the worst system ever. Like, you'd have all these people just, like, having to be, like, so dodgy by, like, driving over things. Like, don't you think they thought of that when they built it? And yet people still do it. Like, they're just sitting there at the lights, like, absolutely normal people. And then... They drive, I'm um, like, oh, he's, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. And then he does it. And it's just yeah. like, oh, like, and the reason why I'm still salty about it is it's been like a year. And like, honestly, first week I would have forgiven someone for doing it. Yeah. But it's like, it's been a year and like, they're still doing it. I'm still salty. Listen, if it, I don't know how things work in Australia, but here in Israel, if it's just like a design problem that's causing all of this mess, it would take them years to fix it, to, to come back and like change things to, to make it work. Yeah. Ugh, I, I, I wouldn't be able to stand it. I'm salty already. I, st- I get salty a lot about, <laughs> I'm just about to give up my commute to work as well because I'm moving. But when I am commuting, it's always like one person every day that's just like being an idiot. And I kind of, it's like that fear, this is a tangent, but it's like that feeling of like, oh, what is this person doing? And you feel like really like, like on the high road and stuff like yeah. that. Like you're like, oh, I'd never do that. And like you kind of like build the, I guess you could say, feeling up. And you're like, yeah, no, nah, he's an idiot. Like look at him. And like <laughs> I don't know why, but it's like it that makes my like commute just way more entertaining when I see people <laughs> like that. Because if everyone's just doing what they're supposed to do, it's so boring. But like I think there's like this kind of implicit desire where, like, I love it when someone does it because it's like I get to laugh at them. <laughs> yeah, you just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. At least yeah. <laughs> that's entertainment for me. So, yeah. It's like getting raged online. Like, I'm really not part of, like, a lot of the, like, the real toxic social media, like what Facebook and whatever the other ones are. But, like, that's what I imagine it would be, like, just people getting, like, really worked up and stuff like that. So, but that's how I get worked up. <laughs> Got to get worked <laughs> up somehow. The only other ones I thought of was, this, this is super bitter as well. This is like salty and petty and bitter. So I played a game of pool, I versus this guy in China. And 
not gonna lie, like, I was pretty cocky. Like I was, I, I was pretty hot shit at, at pool. And this guy's like, obviously he's played before. Like he's not complete amateur, but he's he doesn't play like more than like once a week or anything. So like I went into it, I was playing pretty well. And then this guy just had this run where it was just like absolute flukes. It wasn't like yeah. flukes as in like, <laughs> oh, wow, he wouldn't be able to hit that shot again. It's more like the shot just went so poorly. But, <laughs> you know, I guess if things go around the table long enough, they'll eventually go into a pocket and just, <laughs> I, I was just like so frustrated. And then the last ball, there wasn't, so we we're on the, the black ball, which means there's only one ball left and we both want that want that ball to go in the pocket and it was like I probably could have sunk it but because I was already getting blitzed by this guy it was just on like this Jesus Christ run like best thing I've ever seen in my life so I was like ah oh, you know let's play it safe so I was like okay I'll go go for this pocket right so I like designated my pocket and hit the ball into it and like the ball went like around the pocket like not very close to it and went to the other end because I was trying to like make sure one there was like distance between the white ball and the target ball and two make sure there's like there's no way he could like pocket that ball right and then he he goes okay yep I'll go this pocket right he hits it it goes kind of kind of close to that pocket but it's in a good direction for me so I can like hit it and maybe get it in mind so go for the next shot hit the white ball goes really close to my pocket I'm feeling good because it's like even if it doesn't go in, like it was just like so close to going in that one, he would have to do so much work to get it to go to his pocket. And two, like I'd probably get another shot like that next next time. So I was like, I was feeling pretty good. And then the guy just goes up to the table. That's why, why I'm so salty about it. He just pots it in and put it like into my pocket and puts the key down. And I'm, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, suck it, mate. I was just like, what? He's like, what? yeah. I was like, don't you like designate pockets? And I was thinking like, I was going to be like, oh, okay. So he'll know. He might have like, had a brain fade or something like that. And he's just like, call them pockets. Nah, just wherever you can sink it. I was just like, oh my God. Like, because oh, I could just could have sunk it in any pocket otherwise. And like, I wouldn't have left it there. Uh, and I was just like, I was going to debate it, but I was just so defeated by that point. I was just <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, so I'm still so salty about that. It's one of those things you're just you're just left speechless. Yeah, oh, it's annoying. That's sad, man. <laughs> Did you ever play with that guy again? No, nah, he was um, he's from America. Mm, so. Americans makes so much sense now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I should have added that in. That was that was important context. What about you, Anon? So uh, a few years ago, when when I was in college, I was uh, working at this catering service and you know like we have this portable kitchen we would go to people's events usually at their homes but in all kinds of places set up the kitchen in the back and in the front we'd set up like a bunch of tables and chairs and everything you need for an event my my job i was in charge of the front which uh, i was responsible for getting all of the waiting staff for each event and i was responsible for everything in the front like during the event uh, itself and it was a pretty good job for a student like i worked two or three condensed times a month. And the pay was relatively good for the amount of time I'd work. And, you know, the people who rented our services usually tipped us very well, which was always a lot of fun. And 
this one time, my boss, like the, the owner of the business, uh, he called me and told me there was a special, very, very small event that he wanted me to be in charge of. And the story was that like there was this extremely rich American chef, which I don't know his name. I never really got his name, so I can't tell you who he was. But the guy just published a cookbook that was inspired by Israeli cooking. And to celebrate the release of the, the book, that chef and a few of his friends, they, they came over to Israel for a week or so, and they went like sightseeing all over the place. And for every meal they had, they hired a, a local chef to come and cook for them. And the catering service I was working for was hired to serve lunch for those people in the middle of like this beautiful field under this old olive tree, not far from where I lived. They were traveling from uh, the north of Israel to Jerusalem, and they stopped like in the area I lived in for lunch. So my boss told me that I was, you know, it was going to be a very small, easy job, like about four hours altogether. And a normal event could sometimes be an overnight thing, so four hours is really nothing. And he would need just me and a friend to run things and serve the food and everything. It's really maybe the easiest job ever. And he also told me that the guests were very rich people. Like, they were all well-known chefs or winemakers or stuff like that. And to add to that, I, I don't know if it's, it's if that's a thing everywhere, but, like, we always think of Americans as as good tippers like the the stereotype is that they tip everyone they come across and even in all kinds of weird situations i would never think of tipping like they're always trying to prove that they're generous tippers in comparison with their friends so i figured really easy job quick painless beautiful area to work in close to home and we could maybe expect a very generous tip to share between just the two of us the the friend i worked with and me Hmm. and the lunch went great. Like, everyone was really enjoying their food. The The people we waited on were really nice. Like, they invited us to join them at the table and eat with them, which was a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah, really, really lovely day. And one of them, he had, like, his own winery. So he brought a bunch of bottles of wines from his winery. And, like, literally, it was the most expensive wine I ever tasted by by a fair margin. And honestly... I, I got to taste quite a few expensive wines that day, and they all tasted just like any other wine to me. But that that, that might be me, though. <laughs> anyway, really lovely day. The guests, like, asked a lot of questions about the area and the food, and we felt like we had, we, we, we'd made a really good impression, and we felt like good hosts, you know, like we, we had a lot of fun with them. They seemed to really enjoy themselves. And I did have a nice time that day, but I was working, and I wanted my tip, and... Do you want to guess how much he tipped us? Mm, you're still salty about it, so I'm going to say maybe Very like salty about it. $20 each. Even that seems pretty low. They tipped us nothing at all. Like, they finished the, the lunch, they thanked us, they got on their tour bus, and they drove away. Oh, man. <laughs> it, it, it was about five years ago, and I'm still, like, every once in a while when I'm, where tips come up or something, I'm, I'm remembered mm. of that day. And I'm salty about it. Maybe, I, maybe they didn't know they should tip. I don't know. Maybe someone told them that they shouldn't. Uh, maybe. You know what I reckon? I reckon they all were like, oh, this guy will tip it. And like that guy maybe, was like, yeah. oh, everyone else will tip it. He's in charge <laughs> no of today. I'll be I in bet they all yeah. thought they tipped. <laughs> but yeah, maybe maybe Bar's theory is also correct. Because like when you go to like a foreign place, you always check about local habits and stuff. And maybe mm. maybe someone told them you don't have to tip. Um, I don't know. But like... 
I kept telling myself that I shouldn't expect a huge tip because the fact that they're rich and everything doesn't mean that they have to tip us beyond a certain amount. But I kind of convinced myself to be shown that I'm, I'm going to be shown some generosity. So even if I didn't really expect to be blown away by the tip, I definitely didn't expect to not receive a tip at all. And uh, again, it's a matter of overblown expectations. Like they were rich people. They were in the service industry in one way or another themselves. They were Americans who are known for tipping. And oh, they were man, they were Americans. Country. I must have skipped out on that. That's right. Yeah. And they all came from California, I think. And uh, with foreign tipping habits and a foreign currency, I was kind of prepared for them to not really know what to tip and just over tip. And just not tipping at all made me so salty about it. I don't know if I have the right to be salty about that because I still got paid, obviously. But man, oh man. I can understand why you're salty. (laughs) I'm salty. I kind of, it's, tough because it's not like they're not egregiously at fault but like that still sucks yeah yeah and we were like i said they invited us to join them for 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 the lunch which was extremely nice but like throughout the lunch we were we were trying to be the best hosts we could yeah just to make the, like this personal connection to make them want to tip us even more <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing at all <laughs> that's great that's so good <laughs> Okay, so Homogenic is the third studio album by Bjork, but we'll get to that why it's potentially not as early on in her career as, as you might think. Bjork is an um, a Icelandic singer-songwriter. Um, she released her first album, self-titled, at age 11. Oof. She's extremely young. <laughs> Um, after you know this, who else released an album at 11? Uh, Michael Jackson. Maybe, yeah, but I think um, Stevie Wonder as well, right? Wasn't he like an oh, Emmy yeah. winner or uh, whatever you get for music at 11? Yeah, no, I think he is. Yeah. Anyway, so after this, she formed a number of bands. Like, she formed like a lot of bands. It was one of those, I don't know why, but like a lot of the artists I listen to, it's like, oh, they got into one band and then, then they were in Queen yeah. or something like that, you know? <laughs> like, but um, no, she was in heaps. The most famous band in these early days was probably called The Sugar Cubes, who had a um, pretty great first album, and they were on um, Saturday Night Live in America. But their second album was not received that well, which actually led to her focusing more on her solo career. So, you know, for better or worse, that's how it happens sometimes. After a few sort of projects, including um, she's working on an Icelandic film, um, she moved to London and released an album called Human Behaviour, which um, this this is kind of after her first solo album. This is the one that sort of elevated her fame quite a bit. So um, in Britain, she won Best Female International Artist um, at the Brit Awards. And then she basically just released another banger album after that. And after that one, she released um, Homogenic. So technically like a third studio album, but she's got a like live albums. She's got compilations. She's got, yeah. you know bonus EPs, she's got heaps of band records. So, like, all up, it's probably closer to maybe getting into double digits or something like that. So Yeah, she was um, very active for, for a while. Before yeah, this. extremely active, yeah. So, Homogenic is released in 1997, good year by all accounts. <laughs> this album represented a shift in direction, um, becoming more personal and experimental. The album is... Um, really heavy into building landscapes using electronic sounds such as strings, um, classical elements, and some sort of harsh drum beats 
guess you could call them, electronic drum beats. The album was inspired by the landscapes and energy of Iceland, which is quite nice. And fun fact, she was supposed to record it in London, but she moved to Spain to record it after she survived an attempted murder by her fan. That's what Wikipedia says. (laughs) I just question... The word fan there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's a, like a Mark David Chapman situation, but I, I think as soon as you try to murder them, you're no longer a fan. That's that's my rule on it. Um, the album topped Iceland's um, album charts, as you'd expect, um, and it peaked at number four and number 28 on the UK and US billboards, respectively. Hmm. So, that's firstly, this, this is a... Bit of a like an it feels like Kid A to me. Like it's not it's nineties. It's going from the big guitar bands going into this more electronic sort of style music. Um, and now we obviously have like now we have like dubstep and we have you know all this club house trap music. You know all this stuff that's like selling out Coachella and stuff like that. But in the in the nineties, early two thousands, it was like this was like the first real time where they were getting into it you know 80s was like um sort of getting into the like elements of those synthesizers and stuff like that then 90s is a bit of grunge and then sort of late 90s yeah i feel like i think i feel like in the 80s they started using like synthesized sounds but in the middle of the Mm. 90s they like based their music on synthesized electronic stuff so yeah uh, yeah that's when it really yeah, took like hold. a good example of like the 80s would be like i know what i know what we uh, what we listened to in graceland episode uh um, yeah. with paul simon like that electronic drum beat was like definitely like peak 80s but yeah it was not the basis for the song yeah exactly um so yeah how do you guys firstly how do you guys like electronic music in general because i guess we haven't really talked about it all that much and what do you think of this album in particular? In terms of like electronic music as a whole, I don't mind it. But sometimes when it's like just too electronic, when there's mm. when, when everything in a song or in an album, when when the whole thing is synthesized, it's it's too much for me. Obviously, there there are exceptions. Like Kid A might not be a great example because it's not perfectly uh, synthesized. It's not everything. Not not everything in there mm. is synthesized. But like There's there a are a few rock songs in there. Yeah, yeah, but there are a few songs that are uh, are like fully synthesized, except the the mm. singing. And I don't mind it. It's it has to be done in a tasteful way, I think. And about this album, I. I obviously wasn't really exactly sure what to expect from this album. I heard a lot of good things about Bjork or Bjork. I don't know how to say her name. I think we'll go. There's an yeah, umlaut yeah. there or something. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that, that how that's how she says her name. Bjork. Like kind of. She really emphasizes jerk. the K as well. Like Bjork. Bjork. You know, but um, <laughs> maybe that's just the ASMR lover in me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, I heard a lot of good things about her music throughout the years, so I was expecting to enjoy it, but I I knew that it might have like a high bar t- that you have to cross in order to really get into it. And I, I listened to the album, and it's not an easy album to get into. I I, I thought I had a few things about it that like added friction to the experience for me. Mm. And the first one was the vocals, like Bjork's singing at times is a bit amorphous or patternless it, it's it's kind of hard to follow and connect with i reckon i'm i reckon i'm gonna disagree <laughs> later but that's interesting yeah the the sound of the album has a very synthesized feel to it which i mentioned i have a bit of a problem with 
even though I later realized that not everything is synthesized, like there's a bunch of musicians playing, but we'll, we'll talk about that. And a lot of the beat patterns reminded me of the type of music that I never really liked from the 90s, like mm-hmm. electronic music, like house music, like dance music or trance music. And uh, along with all of that, I could see from my first listen that there was something interesting in this album. Like it features a range of emotions that aren't usually present in many albums. I, it's hard to describe, but mostly I felt like a lot of the songs are about confidence about being a strong warrior, a strong woman. And she's actually gaining kind of strength and power from from, from the music. And I don't know. I may be making this all up, but I don't know. This, this is what I got from the album. And after a while, I really, I, I got used to her vocals and found that they really fit with the rest of the components of the songs. I really fell in love with those. And I, I got used to the sound and the beat patterns, or, or at least learned to kind of look behind them. And the album works. It feels deep. It feels personal. It feels like a lot of heart was poured mm-hmm. into it. You know, it took me a while to get into this album because of all of the reasons that I mentioned, but I feel like I managed to get into it and enjoy it. And I, I'm, I have to say, there are a few noisy, loud, dirty parts in the album, which I love the most. But again, we'll get into those. Uh, what about you, Barrio? I really like to, to what you say. I, I like electronic music, but usually when it comes with something else, like I think I mentioned here electro swing and a lot of the lo-fi music that, that I, I talked about before has a lot of electronic themes to it. And I, I personally agree what, with what you said. Like it's, um, it feels alien, <laughs> right? You know what it feels like a little bit? feels like the album cover. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. true. <laughs> it's like just very defined lines, but it's like, you know, it's, it's symmetric. It's very airbrushed. Yeah, it's symmetric, but it's not beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks a bit like deft of emotion almost. Uh, I guess that's not really true for this album. It does have emotion, but yeah. it's not warm at all. You know, it's very cool. Is that Bjork on the cover? Yeah. That's not a normal look. No, no, no. That's <laughs> not a normal know. look. She said she was wearing like 10 kilograms of hair extensions. Wow. She had to put in like this uh, special eye contacts and all kinds of stuff just to, to get this look. Yeah, she's not like buying like peas and corn and stuff at the supermarket no. like that. <laughs> yeah, so so there were things that worked. And I think that her voice actually works really good with everything. But... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm still missing a couple more listens to this. Not to discourage you, but like as I first got into it, I thought, you know, my first listen through, nothing really stood out to me. Like there was no song where it's like, oh, remember that one. I'm, you know, that one's going to be played a lot. It's nothing like that. But as I went through my second and third listen, so I, I still couldn't like, a lot of songs sound a little bit similar. So I, was, I hadn't really pieced together like the differences yet. And I was like, oh, there's definitely something here. Like, I don't love it yet, but a lot of people love this album. I, I feel like I'm kind of catching on to it a little bit. Like, there's definitely a specific vibe, you know, that it gives off. And then after that, like, there was one song that really stood out to me, maybe a couple others which I didn't mind. But as I got deeper into each song, I found like, oh, yeah, they didn't click for me at all. Like, and I really wanted to like them as well. Like, I, I was... Like, oh man, this song doesn't click, but I bet like if I listen to it like a couple of times, like it'll start to make sense. But I don't know, like it never really did to me. Like it always felt a little bit like in the void. It felt personal in some way, but it, it felt 
still a little bit alien, which is like they're opposite ends of the spectrum, but it, it did feel a little bit like I almost like a call to arms a little bit, like a like a mm. bit of a power up album, like a trying to almost like conquer the world. Um so it had that aspect, but it didn't have the human element of it. It didn't feel like didn't feel like there was like human hands like on the production of it. It, it definitely felt a little bit too clean to me. And yeah, like I, I really wanted to like more songs, but if I add it up, like there's really probably two or three songs that I I can really listen to and nod my head a little bit and everything else like I don't know, I just couldn't really get into it that much. So and the more I listened to it, the more like I felt that way. Um, whereas a lot of other albums like Kid A started, I, I did like Kid A more from the start, but it definitely aged well. Like from listens like four through 10 of Kid A, it got better every time. Whereas listens four through 10 of this, it probably got worse for me. So really, yeah. And I listened to a podcast, this one, I think it's called My Favourite Album. Um, you br- basically the it's what the show says on the box. It's um, you know you bring your favorite album and you talk about it. And I was like, oh well, great. This person will be able to explain to me why you know why it's so good, and then I'll get it. You know, and it just didn't make any sense what they were saying. Like, <laughs> they must be. It felt like honestly, I was checking it to make sure they hadn't like mislabeled it, and they were talking about another album by Björk. And I was like, oh. This is like not what I'm getting, you know. And then they were like name dropping the songs. I was like, okay, no, they're definitely listening to something else because, like, <laughs> I just not didn't get that from this um, from that song at all. So yeah, honestly, I a little bit disappointed because I I was like, oh man, you know, like late '90s. This is where where all the unknown good songs are. So unknown. It was like you know number four in the UK, but um, you know, like this is like the untapped gold mine of like good content but unfortunately this one's not for me if someone else said this was like they love this album like i i don't know i guess i could understand but i would still be a bit perplexed we feel positively about this album but none of us really really connected with this album yeah that's is, fair. is what i'm getting right I, i definitely don't think it's a bad output yeah you know like i think people who love these more like beat driven albums with more this electronic not like study music either i'm not trying to like degrade it to that level because it's definitely something yeah. you could listen to on its own but people who are like more in this scene you know if if this isn't maybe like your go-to album it's still definitely like a definitely good side dish or something like yeah oh i haven't listened yeah. to that in a while let's listen to that like that's I, totally respectable in that in that sense so you wanted to talk about her vocals about the vocals on the album i i i mean i i didn't mind the voices from the start i i like them but and i didn't mind mm. her accent at all which i think i've read about a few people didn't like it but like mm. the vocals on the album not not in terms of her voice or anything or her technique but they're a bit hard to get like they mostly kind of flow and and feel directionless and it takes a while to get them You know, like mm. uh, after listening to the album a few times, some of the bits that I felt were the hardest to, to, to get at first clicked for me and worked mm. really well. But some stayed a bit too out there for me. Well, what do you think about that? I, in terms of her like melody making, I thought that was actually maybe the stronger part of the album for me. Like if I didn't love the arrangement of instruments or potentially even just simple things just like, You know, it just didn't have a good beat to it. Like, it just didn't have a good bass to, like, carry on the song. Like, I felt a little bit, like, stop and start. 
even when those elements were out, I kind of felt like the voice was doing everything else. Like uh, one of my favorite songs for her vocals was probably Five Years. And honestly, this is probably a bad example from the terms of the what what music elements were in it because I I kind of like the the sounds in that one but it, it that one I definitely didn't love the melody for it but I think it was made up for by the singing because the singing was just so raw and so interesting so yeah like it, it made up for probably pretty much a lackluster song a little bit for me like it wasn't like the greatest song of all time but just the singing actually like just what you know how she sung probably made that song for me so this I think is like the highlight of um the the vocals in my opinion it had kind of like this really smoky voice in it and had a like really crisp vocals in it and it had like her kind of breaking her normal I don't know vocal pattern in this yeah she's great here She's really putting everything she has into this. Yeah. Mostly, like, throughout the album, she's mostly... Her, her voice is mostly not that loud, not that noisy. She, it doesn't break. Mm. But here, she really pushes it. Yeah. Maybe the most intense bit of singing throughout the album, except maybe yeah. at one more point. This is like, if for any Nirvana fans, this is like this, like the last verse in, in Lounge Act, you know? Yeah. It's like, she's just going up a notch, and... Um, this is where I can understand where people say it's like an emotional album. I, I can understand that. Yeah, and I, I really like the way she sings here. And I'm I'm glad she kept it for like two or three points in the album and didn't just do it throughout. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Same with probably Unravel as well. Like just the way she's saying like Unravel, you know, it felt very off almost. Like it felt like a little bit spooky, which mm. I actually quite liked. I thought... Honestly, if, if someone else was singing that song, it would have been a much worse song. Like it, it's, mm. um, which, which actually doesn't say good things about the song itself. Cause I think, yeah. I think my stat, my stance is like, sure. I love Robert Plant singing and I love Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan's singing voice and stuff. But if you give those songs to another artist, it's still probably a, a hit song. And that's what I like about those songs as well. Whereas I feel like a lot of the songs in this album are really built to her voice like it, it which is could be again a good thing and a bad thing but i think the bare bones of the song are probably a little bit weak in my opinion like i just didn't feel like you could give that to another female singer and if she didn't sing it like just amazingly it would just be a okay song so i guess that's a pro and a con in the fact that she's writing songs that are good for her which is obviously what you want in an album like you don't write songs for other people, but in the same sense, like, is it only a good song because she just blew the singing out of the park and then the rest of the song's pretty middle of the road? That's kind of how I see it. Like, I'm not really, that opinion I'm not totally in on. That's just kind of like my direction of thought, I guess. Yeah. It's an interesting point. I, I actually tend to agree. I think that her voice kind of lifts the whole thing. Uh, the, yeah. I think her voice was the thing that sounded the most natural on the album, like the least synthesized. Yeah. And I thought her voice was just beautiful. Again, the singing, the the, the melodies, the, the leading component of the album was a bit confusing, was a bit amorphous, I thought. But all in all, I tend to agree with, with you, Peter. I said, like, I, I felt that her voice was the most natural sounding thing on the album. And for a while, I was under the impression that every instrument on the album was synthesized. Like basically, I thought that 
literally everything other than the vocals on this album was created on a computer and, and like put together mm-hmm. with a mouse and keyboard instead of actually playing it. And I think I was wrong about that. I didn't put a lot of research into it. And obviously some of it was programmed, but all in all, I think there were like 20 musicians featured on this album, if I remember correctly. I, I found that very impressive. Like once I realized that a lot of the strings, for example, were actually recorded and not programmed, I listened to them more closely and realized how much I liked their parts and how much I loved how they were arranged. And if you listen to them closely, you can hear the the human factor in the in the playing of it. Yeah. Having said that, I still think that the overall product has a very synthy feel to it, which yeah. isn't usually my style. Yeah, me too. Do you 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 don't usually connect with these kind of sounds? I'm I'm guessing. No, I, I feel like I am warming up to it with a lot of Radiohead stuff. I talk about Radiohead all the time. But I feel like it's valid because I did discover it on through the podcast. So I'm not biased as in like I've been a Radiohead for life. Like I've really only been a Radiohead for like a year. And when I first started listening to them, I used to just listen to like their rock songs. And if it had too much electronic stuff, kind of just like would skip over it a little bit. And now I'm getting more into the electronic. But there is that sort of issue in my head of like I'm coming from a, like a classic rock background, right? And like anything with electronic is like that red flag of, uh uh-oh, like we're we're in danger, you know, like this is potentially not a good spot because anytime you bring in an electronic, it's like, okay, why couldn't they have done this with guitars or something else? And it's not necessarily like the, a human has to be playing it, but it's like electronics like has such a bad rap to me through like going through high school and everyone listened to like dubstep and people like, I know making, it's really great people can make music on their computer but I feel like there's a lot of music out there that's like, oh, people just adding drum beats and go and just experimenting and be like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. And there's like, yes, it sounds good, but there's no um, deliberateness about it. And that's what I really sort of worry about. I'm like, okay, so they had these elements. If you just swap any of those elements, does does the song change? Or is this just like you put five different computer sounds together and it will just sound like that. You know, like yeah. I, I really like it's weird because if you like a song, you should just be happy with that. But there is that element of like, okay, am I just a fool here? He's <laughs> just like hearing like this Mario Kart sound and just go, ooh, cool. You know, like got to make sure like it, it's well thought out. And yeah, I, I thought a, a bit of the album to me felt like, okay, a bit weird, but. Maybe I'm getting, maybe I haven't got to that skeptical point of view with strings yet, but I do feel like the strings add a level of authenticity to it. And it feels almost a little bit like a classical element as well. So if it didn't have the strings and they replaced that with something else, oh my God, it would just be, it would make the album much harder to listen to in my opinion. But if we want to go fully in on the electronic, again, that same song, Five Years, they had this song where it's like, do, 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 do. And it was like, that. it sounded like Mario Kart to me. Yeah, it and sounded like 8-bit sound, like a, yeah. like a, a Game Boy was playing it. Yeah, Game Boy sound. That's, that's, that's exactly right. And then it had this drum beat, which sounded a lot like I Know What I Know from, from Graceland. And honestly, I loved that. I loved the, I loved the drum beat to the Mario Kart sound. Like it, that Mario Kart sound was... Okay, so you can put an electronic sound like doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo and put that in the background and have that going the whole time and you can rely on that as a crutch and that can sound just really bad. But 
that it wasn't throughout the whole thing. It was sort of like the hook. She used that as a hook instead of like doing a vocal hook almost. And it was so over the top. Like it sounded so electronic that it was such a risk. Yeah. And I love that. Hmm. Like I thought it was good. Like, cause you can't put that in every song cause otherwise it will sound like a joke and you will get ridiculed for doing this weird electronic music. Cause it's so obvious. No one's playing that. I mean, I say that and it could be someone, but it, it definitely sounds like almost like a default, like put in this Game Boy sound, you click on Game Boy sound. That's what it would sound yeah. like. <laughs> it, it honestly feels like no one played that, but because it was like so over the top, I, th- I actually like that. So yeah, there were definitely elements that I didn't mind, but if we're looking at the album as a whole, I'm still not totally like comfortable with the electronicness mm. of it. I felt like, you know, they, they wanted to make sure that the, electronic synthesized feeling of it was kind of front and center, which wasn't the case in Kid A in Radiohead mm-hmm. or yeah. other Radiohead albums because Radiohead do rely on electronic stuff, but they don't rely on it as much. They don't put it like at the front. They don't make sure that you pay attention to it. You don't, you know, they, mm-hmm. they just use it for their advantage. And yeah. I kind of feel that like Maybe it's the the result of the the fact that it was 1997 and uh, like that electronic synthy sound was at its peak. Maybe uh, maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong about that, but I, I felt like the the sound the the synthy feely thingy here kind of added friction to 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 my experience. But okay. all in all, there were a, a lot of parts where I at least warm up to it. What what do you think was the best situation to play this album in? Because I played the, the, the album at work once and people gave me funny looks, so <laughs> so I stopped it. And then I, I have to say I love driving with this album playing in full volume at night and huh. you know, kind of sinking into thoughts with this album and, and letting the feel of the album kind of carry me to weird places. And obviously when I did that, once the album was over, I played Kid A because it felt like a natural progression. And they are different in, in many ways. And you know, the the feelings they explore aren't the same at all, but they do share some traits and they definitely work together. But wh- what do you think about this? I've thought about it and uh, feel free to just tell me that this is just a, a terrible opinion, right? But I reckon if you, if say you wake up on a, like a morning that you don't have to work early or something like that, right? So you, maybe you start at 10 or you don't have work that day. You get up at say, you know, eight o'clock, seven o'clock. So it's definitely like still at the stage where you're having shower and like cooking stuff, you know, you're a little bit tired, right? Now, when you're tired, do you want to listen to Abbey Road? You know, like, do you want to degrade like some like classic Beatles stuff by <laughs> listening to it? Like while you're boiling a kettle, you could, I guess. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But this sounds like a little bit, maybe like a getting up in the morning album. Well, you're still kind of in, in dreamland. You're not fully awake. A little bit in dreamland. Yeah. Like, you know, you're you're sort of mixing a bit of pleasure in place. So you're like, you're eating mm. toast and stuff, but you know, you are ironing your clothes, you're you're feeding the cat and stuff like that. It, like, because it, it honestly, it doesn't feel human enough to play it with friends. Hmm. It feels like a personal, like one you'd listen to by yourself, but by yourself, like to be honest, I just wouldn't listen to it with headphones sitting back. Like it's just not that kind of album to me, but what works for it is it's very coherent. Like it, all the songs do belong on the same disc. So that helps. So to have that continuity in your morning, like from going from Hunter to Joga 
to unravel. Like it, it definitely does feel like the same train of thought. Yeah. So, you know, if you mix a bit of that business aspect, like doing the dishes from last night or something like that, yeah. <laughs> this does still have like a, a purposeful feel to the album, whereas like maybe like Abbey Road or something like that or Nevermind or something like that is a little bit too in um, enjoyment land, you know <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it just feels too indulgent. I can totally see it as an album to start your day. feels with. like starting the day with like ice cream or something like that. Like yeah. this is, <laughs> uh, you've got to have your beans first, got to have your vegetables first. So that's how I would do it. That's how I would probably I, I, can, I see that. I can see it. that. Barry, where did you listen to this album? Usually when walking, but I, I tend to agree. I think, I think it's... I wouldn't. I wouldn't just sit and listen to it. But listening in headphones, I agree. Like I think I would have enjoyed it more. Like sitting in in my room and alone and and listening to it on speakers. But but definitely not putting it on with friends. You know what <laughs> might be a good place for it? I'm imagining like an evening or maybe maybe a night and a, a, a lawn. You know, like a stretch of grass and putting on headphones and just you know walking around, walking in circles, or maybe even dancing to it maybe when alone though I, I can see myself getting into the album that way a bit what do we dance tracks on here for an electronic no but um, <laughs> more like interpretational dancing you know like yeah. moving around <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so expressive yeah i never do that but it might be fun with this album um let's do favorite and least favorite and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about one particular song oh so i have an honorable mention and i have a personal favorite and my honorable mention is track four called Bachelorette. I think it's a really cool song. Very, very dramatic. It kind of feels like something from a James, a James Bond, Bond intro. movie. Exactly. <laughs> hey. It sounds exactly like one of those early 2000s, late 90s, which, which makes sense. Yeah. Bond themes. Uh, this song really stood out to me every time it came on because, like I said, it's really dramatic with all the strings and everything. And also... The melody of the vocals on this song easier to follow than in the rest of the album. It's it's the the template is much clearer here. You know, it stood out so much that I kept thinking how this must have been the first single from the album. Mm. And I later checked, and this was the second single. So yeah, yeah I was close. close um, on enough. the I looked at a few forums trying to gauge what everyone else kind of was liking, and this one comes up. I would say probably maybe. M- Top three, at least? Yeah. If you go to Genius.com, the, the lyrics website, it yep. shows you for each song how much how many clicks it got. And this oh, cool. is second place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is an honorable mention. And my, my favorite song from uh, Homogenic is a song called Pluto. Man, the harshest drum beat. Exactly. This is... <laughs> The dirtiest, noisiest, weirdest part of the album. It was like when you go to a club and you're like, I don't fit in here. Yeah. <laughs> 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 this is track nine called Pluto from the album. It, it, it has this anxious, confused, maybe a bit angry feel to it. it it's, it's almost industrial um, yeah, in yeah. terms of the feel. And Bjork's vocals are distorted, which... You know, mostly throughout the album, they're clean. Mm. But, but, but here, here they're distorted, they're weirder. The song keeps building up until it reaches the noisiest, most distorted part of the whole album. And, and, and every time I listen to this album, this song just grabbed my attention and wouldn't let go. 
And also, it kind of sounds like the music, you know, from one of the last boss levels from a Sonic the Hedgehog game from the 90s, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a big plus to me. <laughs> it doesn't get any more electronic than that. Yeah. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it it feels doesn't. like really like post something. I don't know what it is. Not post-modern, not post-pop, you know, like just post feels something. like in the future, you know, like it feels a bit like 1984 or something like that like this is what everyone listens to <laughs> it barely has any lyrics it it it's mostly noise <laughs> yeah it, almost like if someone in the 70s like went to the future and they're like guys it gets worse like go back <laughs> it's repetitive it's dirty it's it's annoying i don't know, i love i love this bit this bit was like Uh, it's too much for me. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I was also going to, to ask to be next because I think this is my least favorite one. <laughs> really? You didn't like the song? <laughs> yes, yes. I, it just, it, like everything I thought I didn't connect to <laughs> throughout the album kind of like manifested <laughs> in that oh, one, man. which stressed me out. That's crazy. Yeah, so that's, so that's my least really? favorite. <laughs> I think even Anon knows why. Uh, he's like, yeah, okay, it's your least favorite. Uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> like, honestly, I thought you guys would agree with me because I, I, I really think this song has a lot to offer. I think it has a lot of charm to it. But uh, now that you say it, I, I was a bit surprised at first that I, maybe you didn't like it, but your least favorite, I was surprised about that. But now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, I, I can see why. <laughs> it's just, it just takes such an aggressive tone. You have to imagine literally Sonic fighting Robotnik and, and it'll work for you. Uh, like imagine Sonic fighting a huge <laughs> robo mech. I don't remember that bit in Sonic PG. Yeah, some, something that just motivates you to clear the level and move on. You just on. have to add some ring collecting noises. <laughs> and it works. Yeah, it reminds me of a boss fight, but when you're running out of time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. Ah! By the time you hear this music, you know you're fucked. Yeah. Like, there's no way out. Yeah. I think that my favorite one was the second track. Yoga or Joga? I have no idea. Yeah. I yoga. kept saying it's yoga, but... I, 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 I feel like it would have to be yoga, yoga, but then I'm like, oh, is that a stereotype? Maybe it's hoga. That's all, all J's are wise, but then again, maybe, I don't know. Let's say yoga. More harmonious, you know, kind of like I have a rich sound. And I think that her voice there is not only smooth, but uh, I think that before we listened to it, we, we talked about, like in the previous episode, we talked about that uh, she's kind of like doing an homage to her uh, culture, to her... Uh, she's from Iceland, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I kind of heard that on that track. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I could have imagined like... Snowy landscapes. Yeah. Even I, though it's a barren land, but uh, yeah, that's what I imagined. Actually, I think that Iceland is pretty green. I think that Iceland is pretty green and Greenland is pretty ice. I thought Iceland was, you know, volcanic ash. But I might be wrong about that. Let me Google some images of Iceland. Icelandic landscapes. Oh, yeah, it seems mm. pretty green and lush. Yeah. Kind of beautiful. Peter, do you want to go next? Uh, Sure. Uh, wait, did we get a least favorite from Barrio? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, yes, Pluto. My bad. <laughs> don't know how I forgot that. you want that. to play it again? <laughs> Just wanted to rub it in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I truly forgot. Um, so my favorite, <laughs> I'm going to agree with you, Barrio. Um, yoga was my favorite. I, I felt like the strong bit was the melody there. It felt like a really solid backbone. The intro was so great. Just... Just the way she sung it, like it almost 
it threw like curveballs at you. Like she's like coincidence, like putting extra syllables into words and stuff like that. And it was just so like, I don't know, it was really just enjoyable to listen to. The strings were just so nice in that song. It almost went the other way for me because like I listened to that actually quite a few times and it got stuck in my head and I could not get it out for like a good week. And like just in the morning, I'd just get up and I'd be like, coincidence. <laughs> it would just, it would haunt my dreams. It was, yeah, it was, it was crazy. So yeah, I, re- I really liked that song. And my least favorite, this is going to be just Don't such say a it. kick in the teeth. Don't it's say it. It's Bachelorette. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> you didn't like Bachelorette? <laughs> <laughs> you guys didn't oh, get this album at all. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> it, this is such a theme with our podcast. We'll go into an album. And no one will be like, yeah, it's a five out of ten. I'll be like, yeah, it's a five out of ten. And we'll be like, what's your favorite songs? And it'll just be absolute Complete opposite. opposites. Yeah. So crazy. <laughs> um, anyway, so Bachelorette. I just didn't like the way... The, the the way she'd like tail off at the end of those, basically like the chorus, I don't know, like it just gave me like this really off feeling. I just didn't like it. And to me, like it kind of, as the song went on, it got really like cloying. I don't know. It was just very difficult to to listen to. Like every time it came on, I'd be like, fucking hell, like <laughs> this song. <laughs> and I legitimately do like the intro. I like that James Bond intro, but that doesn't like... I guess there's still elements of that, but the strings sort of take a different route later. So you lose that. So I did like that, but at the end, it just gets too too much for me. But in some weird respect, I'll say it's actually one of the strongest songs. Like I would, if, if I had to say like, you know, what were the strongest songs in the album, I, I would actually mm. put probably Yoga, Bachelorette, maybe all neon like or something like that mm. and it, it it felt like a it still felt like a solid song like yoga like it 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 i don't know like how to describe it but it definitely felt like there was a lot of meat there to be had um but it was just soured a little bit by just the singing and and stuff for me so like i i can understand why like a lot of people like the song um that's not lost on me but just for me yeah. personally i just didn't like it that much so I never want to go first now. Uh, <laughs> I'm just sitting there talking about my favorite songs, and you're thinking, Bachelorette, I hate this, and then Barrio with Pluto. Actually, I think that's the most interesting disagreement that we had in this podcast yeah. for a while. Yeah, mm. we usually are on the same wavelength. Like, even if we yeah. choose opposite songs as favorites, we're usually, like, agreeing on, on the ideas. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> anyway, at the st- basically, when we started listening to it... Oh, yeah, basically when we started listening to it, I wanted to do like a little bit of a deeper dive just to talk about one song in particular. And so all I did was I went on the forums and said, all right, what's everyone's favorite song? And most people came back and they said, yoga. There's a few people with Bachelorette and there was a few people with a, basically the, the third spot was a real big mix, to be honest. Uh, but those were like sort of the main two. And one guy that was super passionate about Pluto, by the way. <laughs> and <laughs> um, so I decided to go for yoga. And at that point, I'd listened to the album, but yoga didn't stand out to me at all. But obviously, as I went back to it, I, I really started to like it. So yoga is actually a good one to, to sort of talk about because that one 
is one of the most, um, I guess you could say, representative of the album as a whole. Like it has a little bit of everything, but not just in the in the style, but in her, I guess you could say, conception of what it was meant to be. So the album as a whole is meant to have a few elements of her her country. But um, when she was doing this song, um, basically she was trying to basically infuse this with Icelandic music and she calls this volcanic beats, mm, which actually do um, do resonate with me. I'm really keen on that um, electronic drum beat, the bit, how it kind of goes in and out of focus. That to me was really nice. Lyrically, reading off Wikipedia, Ode to Bjork's native land and her best friend and her best friend... I guess at the time was a person called, I'm going to fuck this up, but Johanna Yoga Johans Dottir. So, <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, she thanked on the album credits as well. Yeah, so I thought this one was a really kind of representative of like what she was going for in terms of, you know, going for landscapes. Obviously, that's, I would, I would say this is probably one of the first songs she recorded for the album. So, Yoga has been described as the real conceptual heart of the album and a sonic picture of the geographical beauty of her homeland. Without knowing Iceland, it's hard to say how true that is. The track showcases these hybrid elements of strings and electronic backing beats for the album, thus being described as Baroque Electronica by Slant Magazine's Sal Kinquamani. So to me, it sounds like pretty raw maybe like volatile, you know, it definitely feels like it's a bit uh, like chaos, but not quite in dissembled or anything like that or disheveled. It just, it just feels a little bit like almost like lasers are coming at you. You know what I mean? Mm. And I hear this term Baroque termed quite a bit like um, Baroque pop is something like some Beatles songs called Baroque pop. And apparently it's a style of um, Western classical music from, um, 1600 yeah uh yeah something like 1600 <laughs> sort of ye olde time shakespeare onwards from western europe so yeah, Bach and vivaldi i think but honestly i've looked it up and like i still don't really understand what baroque means because some people will be like yeah it's kind of like a baroque pop i'm like does that just mean weird pop as far as i know <laughs> like the classical baroque mu- music one of its traits is that like it's not too dynamic like they don't have a lot of dynamic changes and if there are dynamic changes if like you add or take out like instruments or something to make it stronger or louder then the change is very well defined you know like you have to wait to the end of the sentence and then you but i kind of don't really hear it about this one because the drums come in and out you know like they fade in and fade out so it's kind of different than what I'd, i'd expect but honestly i really don't know anything about it <laughs> on the on the um what do you call it? What's the album? Uh, what's the podcast called? The Great Albums Podcast, which mm-hmm. um, absolutely check it out if you haven't. It's uh, they they always bring in this word like baroque pop, and I just like you know how you hear a word enough, so you kind of get like an image of what it is. But yeah. if someone asks you to describe it, or you have a podcast and it comes up on the podcast and you have to describe it, you don't know. <laughs> well, I just have no idea. All I know is like the synonym I use is just like weird. <laughs> I read about, like like you mentioned, that this song is about her missing her homeland, her missing Iceland, or, you know, missing her mm. old friend. And um, I don't know, I read the lyrics and then it didn't really click to me because she, she wants to be in a state of emergency and, like, Iceland is, is beautiful and quiet and, and, like, maybe untamed, but I don't know, it didn't really click for me. Huh? But, you know, deciphering lyrics isn't 
my uh, forte, really. So I don't know. Mm. I I know though that this was the first single uh, from the album, and on Genius.com, this is a song that most people click. And mm. I know that I don't know if you 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 looked it up, but there was an EP released the that was called Yoga or Yoga, and it had like five different versions of this song. Did you listen to any of those? No, I didn't. What were they like? They're interesting. They're like some of them are kind of close, but a bit different. Like you can hear that the mix was a bit different, but some of those t- take the song in a whole different direction, which out of all of those versions and the one on the album, I think that the one on the album is the best one. That's good to know. In terms of the lyrics, I think the Icelandic tribute is more in the instrumental aspects than the mm-hmm. um, than the lyrical aspects. Like, she does say emotional landscapes quite a bit, but yeah, I guess, I mean, you could absolutely um, interpret it as talking about Iceland. Like she says, emotional landscapes, they puzzle me, confuse, um, then the riddle gets solved and you push me up to this. And then she says state of emergency really loud. <laughs> and it's like, I guess like, you know, riddle gets solved. Like, I find it very hard to like understand what that would mean. But the general thing what I would say is like the state of emergency could be like, some some sort of chaos, maybe it's something to do with like, I guess people talk about Australia like being in the middle of like the desert, like it's kind of scary, even though it's quiet, it's like scary because it's like you're like a thousand kilometers away from like a, a tap. I guess potentially without having knowing, <laughs> having known um, Iceland or anything like that, like potentially it's a little bit the same, but more like cold and um, stuff like that. But she says, state of emergency, how beautiful to be. So... Maybe it's like, oh yeah, this is this place is absolutely fucked. I love it. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That's, 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 that's kind of the, the way I ended up thinking that's about. That's how it. <laughs> I would say, yeah. So yeah. Um, but going online, so four years ago, this guy called Dean James eighty two posted this to Reddit. So basically, I looked up, you know, this song on Reddit just to see if anyone's like talking about it and stuff. And this person just discovered it. He's like, basically, just says, you know, I heard this and pretty sick. So a few people chimed in. And um, basically, everyone's in concurrence, like, I guess, on R slash electronic music. You can't really just be like, nah, shit song, carry on, you know. But a few people um, commented, King Bonio said, this song surprised me how good Björk is. Um, I'd only heard pop chart entries. This cropped up on some trip hop playlists in Spotify, and I'm glad. Definitely Toby, so no doubt about that. Uh, he says, one of the most beautiful things ever created, the greatest and most unique artist to have ever graced us with the, um, with music, in my honest mm. opinion. So he's yeah. definitely Toby and he's honest. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think people who like this song like really love it. I, to be honest, for me, I actually do really like it. Out of this whole album, look, I probably wouldn't even listen to like my second or third favorite songs. This is like the one I'd take out of it. And honestly, because I don't really play songs, I don't really put them in playlists or anything like that outside yeah. of like making potentially maybe one artist's playlist or something like that. But yeah, so I don't know how honestly I'll I'll listen to this much, but I did like this song quite a bit. I thought it just had such solid singing, such solid melody, an awesome drum beat. The, the strings are great. I think this is like some elements of this album had like really great instrumentals. Singing was like a bit, bit creepy and some had like kind of amazing singing let down by either the melody or like some just over exasperated instrumental stuff and this one is just like when both of them work 
it 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 sounded good. So yeah, it's potential here for me. Like if the, if all the songs were like this, I would have an absolutely different opinion. Really. So this album, I find hard to summarize my thoughts about. I listen to it basically every day since we recorded our last episode. I, I felt like there were a lot of factors that prevented me from really enjoying this album at first, but I eventually learned to enjoy it. And even then, after I kind of started uh, to enjoy this album, there were times where, I to- where it totally worked for me and like excited me and got me to feel all kinds of stuff. And there were times where I was trying to remember what it was that I enjoyed about it. You know, like there were times that I really loved this album and times where I was kind of confused about it. And on Apple Music, there's a live album by Björk called Homogenic. So I'll listen to the live versions of the songs I know from this album. And it's mostly really, really good versions, like really good stuff. It's it's really worth checking out. And I, I also listened to her first album debut from, I think, 1993, a couple of times, and it sounded really interesting. Um, and yeah. on a more personal note, I'm kind of I, I, I'm a bit burned out from two hectic months at work at the moment, and I suspect it affected my listening experience a bit. I'm sorry to say. So I have a vacation coming up, after which I'll probably edit this episode, and I'll listen to this moment right here, which I'm going to use as kind of a reminder to give this album a listen with fresher ears. Uh, so if I do that, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an update about how it felt. I'm actually totally in the same boat, like, uh, moving house started sort of like this boring accounting, I guess, extra course that I'm doing, Yeah. uh, work, you know, it's just been crazy. So I can actually kind of sympathize a little bit. Like it shouldn't really affect like how good an album is, but you know, sometimes that stuff kind of comes into it. So, um, I don't think my opinion would, would like radically change, but I think, I could potentially like enjoy it a little bit more. So I would like to say that I would do the same, but I'm not sure. There are a couple of songs that I will come back to. Pluto and Bachelorette. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Did you like um, Batch- Bachelorette Barrio? Because I actually loved, I, I love P- Pluto as well. I thought it was good. <laughs> I liked more than Pluto. I think that it was a bit tacky, but yeah. Wait, one, once you said it sounded like a Bond uh, theme, then it completely clicked why it sounded so familiar <laughs> yeah is it the most artsy album we've done i've got to say yeah i think so yeah like i remember when i brought this to you guys and you're like yeah i think it's a little bit artsy and i was just like all right what does that mean i don't know uh. <laughs> anyway and as soon as i started listening to it i'm like ah oh, that's what it this. means yeah so because some people said um nirvana's album um in utero was a little bit more artsy than um oh. never mind and i was like uh, maybe it is, but like not that much more artsy. Like it sounds like similar, I guess. And this is artsy. Like this is yeah. this is where artsy's at, you know. Yeah. So I just got like a weird sort of conception of what artsy meant from whoever said that, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, okay. I don't know what that means then, but yeah, this is definitely artsy. So as we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not Bjork's Bjork's Homogenic is a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide, uh, aka the Queg. We will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay, and the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. Let's uh, let, let's have a vote, and remember, like maybe even if it doesn't really change the results, it, it, w- once we listen to it with a fresher ear down the line, we can always come back and retroactively change a vote. Mm-hmm. So uh, keep that in mind, but. Peter, do you want to go first? This is actually one of the easier ones for me to pick. Um, 
I'm going to um, stroke my mustache on this one, which mm-hmm. is to be expected. And to us, the whatever that US bunker they have where they're keeping pet sounds and um, <laughs> a few other <laughs> albums down there, they have not unfortunately granted this culturally important enough. So, um, but yeah, I, I do agree. Look, it, it's definitely like if if you're into sort of 90s music or EDM or something like that, like if you haven't haven't um, heard it, definitely like maybe um, listen to Yoga or, or Pluto or something like that and just see what you think. Because like one song on this album is probably like enough to maybe get a conception of if you'd like the whole album, I think. Like it's not unfair to say, I don't think. So um, maybe just give one, one song a go. Barrio? Um, stroking my mustache harmoniously. You don't see the greatness in this. I see a little bit of Game Boy in it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm still salty that Kid A didn't get in. Hmm. That that was a lot. <laughs> you should have brought it in the, in the tavern time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really thought that you guys would love, or, or at least Peter, I thought you'd be, you, you'd really connect with uh, this album, with uh, Homogenic. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that you didn't love it. Yeah, I, I am too. I am too. And I, I'm going to stroke my mustache as well. I... I, I, I like this album, and I, I did enjoy it. I did listen to the live album. I did listen to the, the EP and the other, the, the fir- her first album, her debut album. And all in all, as much as I, I did like it, it's just not really for me. It didn't excite me that much. Mm. I kind of was hoping that you guys would love it and kind of lift me, you know, and, and, and get me to see yeah. things I didn't in it. But, yeah, what are you going to do? This is <laughs> out. Our next episode is going to be our two-year episode, which means that we'll take a look at the second year of our quest and see how it went, what kind of topics we tended to pick, what ended up in the quag. I'm preparing a game that will test our recent pop music knowledge, and also we'll crown our year two MVP. Our year one MVP, of course, was Fight Club, the Chuck Polonick book, which I think will be hard to top, but there are a few... Uh, strong co- contestants. See, w- like I know personally, I forget a lot of the topics. So I, I, if we, if I look at a topic, I know if we've done a podcast on it or not. I'm not that, I'm not that far away from it. But yeah, um, <laughs> I, I couldn't name like our first ten episodes or anything. I'm, I'm the exact opposite. Maybe it's because I sit down and edit those episodes for hours at yeah. a time. But I remember, like, I'm going over the list and I remember. Everything about almost each episode. <laughs> I'm really I can, into those. I can, once I, once I, I know my opinion when I, when I, when you tell me something, I know pretty much like how I felt about it. Yeah. But um, in terms of actually recalling the topics themselves, like I find that difficult because now we're a year on, year on since the year one MVP essentially, right? Yeah. And I don't remember, I don't remember my top three of that year of like, this kind of the internal way we find our MVP. I don't remember my three, but I remember the MVP. And I guess that's the point why we have it because we know we're not, if we have a top three every year, two years from now, are we going to remember like nine, you know, different things? Like no, one a year is such a small amount. Like it's literally the bare minimum per year we can like kind of crown without it becoming like we just, giving everything a participation trophy. Yeah, I think that's the perfect amount. Like it just, 
we, then we can just summarize the year with one bloody entry and that's enough. You know, like, yeah. I like it. <laughs> I actually, I remember typing down the my three candidates for the year one MVP and thinking, mm. huh, they all start with an F. So it's oh, easy okay. to see that I, I chose Fight Club, Firefly, and Forrest Gump. So uh, that's, that's oh. kind of easy to remember. But the only yeah. one I remembered was um, the the book by Douglas Adams. Last chance to see. Yeah, last, last chance, chance to see. Awesome book. Awesome book. I think we had less entries to the Quag this year, so it'll be easier to choose. Uh, I think yep, the the definitely. chances for us to to have a, a unanimous uh, pick would be higher. But honestly, last year we got it in one. Like we all just had Fight Club in our list, so <laughs> it was pretty easy. Yep. Mm. Uh, well, we'll see how it goes. And then, obviously, after the the this year two episode, it it'll be Barry's uh, turn to choose something. Whoop, whoop. You know, I'd like to hear from listeners if you want to mm-hmm. say, like, do listeners prefer like one person's recommendations? Because they're not recommendations. We got to make that clear. Like, no. this isn't stuff we're bringing and endorsing. This is stuff that usually we haven't heard. Exactly. But even then, do listeners like go, "Oh, it's Anon's choice. Great, I love Anon's choices." Because even our choices would still, they still have to go through a filter that's enough for us to choose it, even if we yeah. don't end up liking it. Like this, like made it through my filter. I was like, oh, cool. Like 90s, you know, we've sort of done something similar, but, you know, I've never heard of this person. People are saying it's FRL. So it went through that filter. You know, is, do we have like different sort of stuff? Like, do we have different nets that we're throwing out there? Like, I'd love to hear from, um, I'd love to hear yeah. what they, what they think. Yeah. If there's someone out there who's like, who can't wait to have a Barrio episode or <laughs> who thinks that every, everything Peter chooses sucks or <laughs> likes the fact that everything I choose goes into the quag, even though I choose oh, the easiest stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> thank you, Peter. And thank you, Barrio for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye! See ya! Bye-bye! The Culture Quest Podcast is brought to you by no one in particular. The best way to support us and help us grow is to tell your friends and family about us and to direct them at episodes that they might find interesting. We might start a Patreon page at some point. That way we'll be able to do some cool stuff with people who decide to actively support us, such as you'll be able to join our Discord channel and discuss the albums, movies, books we're doing before we record each episode. You'll be able to suggest and to vote on the subjects that we do. We can maybe do listening parties with the albums we've covered and who knows what else. Uh, If you think you might be interested in something like that, or you want to contact us about anything else, drop us a line. You can find all the ways to contact us on our website, culturequestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention all those people that are currently stuck without their phone and are forced to continue listening to this unless they pause it and then have to contemplate, you know, the state of their life and other things. So you'll probably just continue listening. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to a um, a website, actually. It's called givewell.org. So that's give, G-I-V-E, well, W-E, double l dot org so it's it's a dot org so it's it's legit and um basically they're the authority on who is worth giving money to in terms of charity so obviously we'll give money to friends and family if they fall on hard times but if you are thinking about giving large sums of money to um, charities it's definitely best to do your research because 
a lot of people just give away money and want to feel good, but it's also good to think of it as an investment and how you can do the most good. So, it's not asking you to give away more money, but it's asking you to give the money away in a responsible way. And um, basically, they've just authorized eight charities. So, out of all the, I want to say hundreds of thousands of charities, might be a bit lower, but they've authorized only eight. And I think it's really good to just scan through the list and um, see if you can consider donating to these charities. So, um, I think that would be good if we can all sort of band together during these tough times. At the moment, it's COVID, but, you know, that will change and we're all going to need to support everyone. So, this is probably one of the best evidence-based ways to do that. So, yeah. So, definitely hop on to givewell.org if you're considering and hopefully those charities are like tax deductible or something in your country, which would be in your best interest. So, anyway, this is not formal advice, but it's just a good place to go. Thank you.